The following sermon is brought to you by Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 10.45 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening service. If you have any questions, please email us at info at capitalcommunitychurch.com. We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. It is the day that God has made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Well, I'm honored to be here with you this morning, to be uh, here in front of you. Uh, we had a fantastic time this weekend. I'm going to ask just because I couldn't, I couldn't turn around and see. How many of you were here uh, this weekend on Saturday with us? Oh, wow. Wow. Quite a number. Okay, good. Well, in the, in the event that you weren't, uh, I do want to just take a moment and uh, make a couple of announcements here. <clears throat> and just simply say um, thank you for coming. Uh, it was a joy to be with you this weekend. Grateful to the pastoral team uh, that's here, the elders that are here to grant for the invitation. We've been overwhelmed by the hospitality uh, here. And by we, I mean Daryl Harrison, myself, his wife, Melissa. Uh, it's been a joy to be with you all. The Just Thinking team, I was trying to look to see in the back. I do see uh, Daryl calls her the boss lady, uh, Nicole. She gets us to and from where we need to be and her precious husband who came with us. We got a chance to, to meet him for the first time. She, he's allowed her to kind of travel and get us to where we need to go and had a chance to meet him. So on behalf of all of us, the Just Thinking team, uh, our group, thank you all so much for uh, just the time that we had to, to spend uh, with you. By way, again, of saying just kind of thanks, I want to also uh, just acknowledge uh, my bride, Tamika, who's at home uh, holding it down with our son, uh, Price Walker. Uh, Price is 18. He's at home with us. We have three children, Princess and, and uh, Princeton. They're in Omaha, Nebraska. I tell people everywhere I go, uh, if you have the opportunity, be praying uh, for my son, uh, uh, Price. He's now got the focus of two parents who were, who were formerly focused on three different people, all focused on one person. Uh, so he gets the joy of having that parental oversight uh, uh, as he's kind of maturing into uh, adulthood and kind of trying to navigate those waters. So I'll be praying for him. Uh, on behalf of, of uh, G3 Ministries, which, I'm re which I represent, uh, Daryl, I'm sure we'll talk about G uh, GTY uh, this evening. We recognize everywhere we go, we kind of wear two hats. Uh, one is the, our primary uh, job, which for me is uh, G3 Ministries. Uh, and uh, on behalf of uh, Dr. Josh Bice, uh, who I know is, is very good friends with, with your Pastor Grant, uh, uh, just thank you all for, for hosting us, for having us, uh, and, and I'm sure he, he'd uh, want me to bid you greeting as well from, from G3 Ministries. I'm going to do one thing really quick. I'm going to ask Daryl, if you would, to grab that bottle of water for me, and uh, I apologize. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, thanks for that, yeah. That, I'm glad it went well, because that could have been real, you know. Yeah. I'll, I'll apologize up front. There's some medication that I take that at times drives me out, so I, I need uh, to have that close by. 
Uh, with that said, uh, I'm honored to open up the Word of God with you uh, this morning. And so it is with that that I will ask you all, in the, in the honor of reading the Word of God, would you stand with me? We're going to read Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to begin. Our, our primary text is Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. But for the purpose of context, uh, I will actually begin reading in verse 8. This is God's word, and it reads as follows. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple into the Lord, verse 22. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As you're seated, I would ask you to join me in prayer. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your sovereignty and salvation. We are indeed grateful for the selfless sacrifice of your son who died on the cross for our sin. Your wrath was indeed poured out on your son as a propitiation for those who have placed their faith in his finished work. Thank you for sealing that promise of salvation by the Spirit who is the guarantee of that which is to come. We recognize that we were once separated from you, dead in our sin and trespasses in which we once walked. We acknowledge that we were once sons and daughters of disobedience, following the prince of the power of the air. We are overcome with gratitude as we acknowledge that the result of your actions toward us in salvation was not the result of our good works or of our kindness or of our faithfulness or of our worthiness. Instead, it was the richness of your mercy and out of that great love with which you have loved us that while we were dead in trespasses and sins, you made us alive together with Christ. Father, we are overwhelmed by your love toward us. May our lives be lived in a manner that reflects that gratitude. Help us today as we open your word to be more in awe of the richness of your mercy gained through Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. This epistle to the church at Ephesus 
is probably one of my favorite letters of Paul. I think there are a number of reasons why anyone could, could look at this particular letter and find it something that, that they thoroughly enjoy reading and, and studying. If, if you'll allow me, I want to take you on a, on a quick journey as we land on the cornerstone of our text. Let me say up front that I love expository preaching. Uh, and if any of you are A, true expositors, or B, have sat through a bunch of expository preaching like I know you do here, uh, you recognize immediately that there is no way in the world without five hours that I'll be able to cover the ground that I just laid out for you. With that said, I'm hopeful that you'll allow me, just by way of, of putting a capstone on uh, the conference this weekend, if you'll allow me to take maybe a 50,000-foot view of this particular text of Scripture uh, and really ring out some of the ideas that we experienced over the course of the weekend, but for those who did not attend, my hope would be that we would have an opportunity to rejoice in what God has done for us who are in Christ. Uh, we could rejoice over the fact that God has reconciled us through his son to the Father. And that we can rejoice in the fact that we've been reconciled to one another as well. But as I think about this particular letter, as I think about uh, the beauty of what has been written in this space, I think for the most part there's a number of reasons why individuals could really enjoy this book. The letter begins with a concise description of God's cosmic plan for sinful humanity. For many, the letter provides maybe their first introduction to the, the teachings of grace that God the Father purposed to choose us in Him before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless before Him, Ephesians 1.4. And then when it comes to the, the, the majesty, the beauty, the, the vastness of God's sovereignty and, and the plan of redemption, I, I think no other uh, section of Scripture puts that more plainly than this first chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Every Christian, I think, should read this book and meditate particularly on the, the first uh, two, three chapters of this particular text of Scripture. It actually blows our mind. We're overwhelmed with the realization that, that God... In his sovereignty, before he creates the world, before he ha has the opportunity to say, let there be light, he orchestrated a plan for you and I. Before that plan gets enacted, he, he knows that, that you and I are going to fail. He knows that, that Adam is going to fail. He knows that Eve is going to fail. He knows that Virgil will fail. So before he says, let there be light, he has a plan. He, he has a plan to, to gather his elect. He has a plan to, to ransom those who are his. As that plan unfolds and the time is right, he then says, let there be light. That mere idea should, should explode our minds. The mere idea that before the first explosion of creation unfolds, God has a redemptive plan for you and me. No other section of Scripture captures that idea like Ephesians. As if that weren't enough, the first chapter goes on to explain the, the triune nature of salvation. This is 
Paul explains to the Ephesian church that salvation is that, that they currently enjoy, that you and I currently enjoy, was, was not a novel concept. It was not a new idea where God thought, you know what, I guess things have, have gone awry. I'll, I'll, I'll create something to, to, to fix things after the fact. No. Rather, the salvation of God is, is, is his plan. It was the Father's design in eternity past in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. It is the work of God's Son in Jesus Christ, redeeming mankind in time, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. And it is the sealing of God the Holy Spirit, confirming our future reward, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. As, as we run through the, the cosmic plan of God in chapter 1, when we get to chapter 2, Paul begins by outlining man's situation in time. It's as if Paul has pulled back the cosmic curtain and allowed us to look, peer into God's plan of redemption on our behalf. And then for, for a moment, he, he slams us head first in chapter 2 into our condition that required that salvation to begin with. Chapter 2 begins this way, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and, and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now as this chapter unfolds, our separation from God could not be more evident. Paul declares unequivocally that we're dead in sins. I don't think there's more separation than, than, than to be dead in sins. In fact, in Ephesians 2 verse 3, Paul reveals that, that we are like the rest of mankind, children of God's wrath. But instead of condemning all of humanity to the death that we rightly deserve before God for our sins against him, we look at verse 4, and it's as, as, it's as if the, the, the very peering of sunlight begins as we see the words, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love that he has for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So instead of condemning us to the to the death that we rightly deserve before a holy God. God is rich in mercy. This immense love is far more than a, than a warm sensation on the inside of, of God's heart, kind of running down his spine. This is more than some notion of some, some tingly kind of passing phase that, that, that is felt in a, in a moment or an instance. But God demonstrates this love by the sending of his son and offering him as a sacrifice, as a payment for the penalty of our sin. With that context in mind, I want us to look closely at our, at our text, Ephesians 2, verse 11, where, where Paul begins with a transitional word. He's laid out this, this cosmic plan. He showed us our need for redemption, our need for salvation. And as a result, he, he then turns and says, therefore, now that you know that, I, I want you to, to, to understand something. Therefore, verse 11, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember. 
that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Before I walk through the, the central point of the message that I want to deliver, allow me for those who take notes to give you maybe some, some things to hang your hat on here. This will be a, a, a used as a reference. I'll continue to go back to it as we uh, navigate the time that we have remaining. The first thing that I'll, I'll point out is I want us to remember who you were. Paul is obviously wanting us to remember who you were. Who, who you were will unpack the, the why, but in verses 11, verse 11 we'll remember who we were. Verse 12, we'll remember where we were. We'll remember where we were. This is more than location. This is more than, oh, they're down the street and around the corner. No, this is the, the idea of our separateness from a holy God. That'll be in verse 12. We're also to remember to rejoice in what God has done. Verses 13 and 14 will encourage us to rejoice in what God has done. In order to grasp the magnitude of what God has done, Paul begin, has, has begun by, by explaining to us the depth of our depravity. By verse 11, he asks, uh, pauses for a moment to say, therefore, remember, remember that you were at that time Gentiles, that, that you at that time uh, were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Remember. You must remember. Why is it important here for us to remember who we once were? Why is that important? Why does Paul pause to say, after he's laid out this cosmic plan of God, after he's, he's unpacked the, 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 the position that we were in and, and our separateness from a holy God, he again reminds us, he says, remember. Why is that important? I can tell you for me why something like that would be important. I, I, know, I know the corrupt nature of my own heart. I, I know the, the, the nature of my own desire to, to, to feel important, to, to look important, or at least in front of others to, to seem like I've got it all put together. We live in an incredibly narcissistic culture. And, and that, that narcissism, while it's easy to point to out there, it oftentimes is a little bit more difficult to look at in here. One of the reasons why we gather Sunday after Sunday is to be reminded as, as we listen to the verse of Scripture that was even read this morning, we're, we're reminded of our sinfulness. We're reminded of our need for repentance. We're reminded of our need to, to gather as the body of believers to worship the, the sovereign God of the universe. And as we do, it, it, it serves as a reflection of two things. One, that you and I aren't sovereign. And number two, that we're in need of a Savior. Why does Paul remind us here, want, want us to remember who we were? Yes, you need to remember who you were, so there's never a sense in your own mind that there's some level of self-righteousness that you've obtained, that there's some manner in which you've, you, you've gotten there based upon you know, your goodness or your good works. And while we as believers recognize and understand that, uh, unfortunately, at times, it's not demonstrated in our day-to-day -day lives with others. How often have you gotten upset or, or angered by someone who behaved in such a way that if you sat down for just a moment to reflect, you probably behaved in the same exact manner? How many times have you gotten into that, that argument with a, with a spouse or, or a loved one over something you had expectation for them to do? You needed to do this, you need to do that, and the reality is you too are, are guilty of the same charge. 
Paul wants us to remember who we were. Why? Because it gives God the most glory for what he has done. Remember who you were. If you recall again who you were, you'll be able to appreciate what God has done in ransoming you and redeeming you and and returning you to a position that you and I do not rightly deserve. This position that we've obtained is all on the basis of his goodness. It reminds us of what, what God has absolutely accomplished. Let's look again at, at Ephesians 2, verse 11. He says, Paul says, remember that you Gentiles in the flesh were known as the uncircumcision by what is known as the circumcision, which is produced in the flesh by hands. Being known as the uncircumcision. This, this, is, this is a little bit deeper. Paul is, is digging a little bit deeper as he unpacks this. Abraham was, was, was circumcised as a sign of God's covenant people as a sign that he indeed was a part of God's covenant people. We read this in Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 11. This indeed, circumcision was an external uh, external manifestation of one's devotion, of one's covenant with God. The people of Israel took this covenant very seriously, at least at times they did throughout the Old Testament. Some even mistook circumcision for salvation. I'm indeed righteous because of, because of the fact that I'm a part of the people of God and I've engaged in this, this, uh, this means of, of circumcision. The idea here, though, was that, that God desired a circumcision much deeper than the one that they had expressed. This was a, to be a circumcision of the heart. We remember the attacks uh, uh, with regard to being called the uncircumcision, right, in Scripture. The one that comes to mind is, is the attack of, of David, or, the, or at least the pronouncement of David as he's, as, as he's racing uh, to, the, to, the, to the front of the battle lines to face Goliath. Remember what David says about Goliath? In, he says this in 1 Samuel, verses 17 through 26. And David said to the men who stood with him, he said, what, what, will, what shall be done for this man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The idea here that's being portrayed is, as David uses this term of derision is that one is separate from God, is, a, is apart from God's covenant people. This is one that is carnal, that is polluted. David expressed this term, or this, this idea as a sense of derision, as a sense of, of separation, again, from, from God. So once again, the, the, the contempt being conveyed here, this is more than just name-calling. The, the idea here is, again, separateness from God. Paul then wants us to be, to be reminded of where we were. Be reminded of where we were in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul reminds the the Christians in Ephesus, particularly the Gentile Christians, that they were formerly far from Christ. It's interesting because at the beginning of this verse, you have the first portion separated from Christ, and at the end of the verse, you have uh, having no hope and without God in the world. And these two ideas are, are intertwined without Christ. There's no hope of God in the world. This is the concept of separation again. 
Allow me to divide these thoughts in two parts. One is our isolation from God. This is significant because Christ is, Christ is integral to everything. When you comprehend who Christ is, this, this section of Scripture actually comes alive in a major way. Consider, for example, the enormity of, of who Christ is in, in the text of Scripture. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, and he put all things under his feet. He, God the Father, put all things under under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Very famous verse of scripture, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This, this Christ who Paul explains we are separated from this is Christ, the preeminent one. This is Christ, the promised Messiah. This is Christ. He's the greater prophet. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is, this is Christ. He's the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. This is Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and end. Apart from him, no light dawns apart from him nothing holds together apart from him the whole known universe folds into itself and collapses back into the nothingness from which it came before God the Father said let there be light this is Christ earlier I mentioned our separateness was in two parts it was from God our separateness from God the second part was inevitably our, our, our separation from God's people Paul amplifies this in verse 12 when he mentions we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Our separation from God inevitably means that we are separated from God's people. And this, this separateness can be no more evidenced in the way that Jews and Gentiles worshipped. Well, there, are, there were a few God-fearing Gentiles Overall, the majority of the Gentiles were engaged in some form of pagan worship. For those few God-fearing Jews, those, those, those God-fearing Gentiles, those Gentiles who, who understood that there's something different about the God of Israel that we don't understand. There's something different about that God and, and what's happening with these covenant people than is happening where I am. I, I'll, I'll follow that God for the handful of, of Gentiles that did that. These were God-fearing Gentiles. Even with that, their separation from, from God and the people of Israel was very evident in the way that the, the Jews and Gentiles worshipped. For example, in the temple courts, there was a separation of, of Jew and Gentile. The temple, the, the temple was constructed of courts. You had the court of the priests, where only male members of the tribe of Levi were permitted. You had the court of Israel, where only male Jews were permitted. You had the court of women where any Jew could enter, but no woman could go beyond a certain point. 
And then after that, you had five steps down from the level of the Jewish courtyards. There was a five-foot-high stone barrier that extended all around the temple enclosure. Then, then there were another 14 steps downward to a level known as the courtyard of the Gentiles, or the court of the Gentiles. Now, all of this is according to Jewish historian Josephus, is, is that there were dividing walls of this nature, Jew to Gentile. They were marked at inter- intervals with a stone inscription stating that no foreigner was permitted to enter Jew- the Jewish enclosure upon penalty of death. Josephus records this, 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 uh, this inscription, and in, 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 uh, he says that it read as follows, quote, No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Go back to Ephesians 12, Ephesians 1, verse 12 again. Remember that, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. There could be no more dire situation than the state, that the, the, than the state of, of the final section of that verse. You, have, you are having no hope and are without God in the world. Our situation was grim prior to Christ. Those who are not in Christ, this is indeed your situation, your circumstance. Verse 11, we looked at remember who you were. Verse 12, remember where you were. And again, this is about separateness. Finally, in verses 13 and 14, we need to rejoice in what God has done. When we finally have crystal clarity on where we've been, and we can finally rejoice in where we are, what God has done on our behalf, not of some work that we've done or some goodness that we have, but on the goodness and grace of the living God. Verse 13, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, as we look at verse 13, we have those, those two words again. Remember, remember earlier in verse 4, we had, we had those two words, but God being rich in mercy? Here we have an echo of, of that same refrain in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near. Your condition was, was tragic. Your, your condemnation was sure. But now, in Christ Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the, this is the light of dawn. In this we should rejoice. At the outset I mentioned that the gospel is not new. This is not a, a new promise. This is not a novel idea that God had. This was a, the plan of God before the very foundation of the world. This idea is echoed throughout the text of scripture. Acts 2.39 For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 13 says you were brought near. Verse 13 in in chapter 2 says you were brought near. How were we brought near? Were we brought near by some government edict? Were we brought near by, by some plan of 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 some man of some human condition no we were brought near by the blood of christ it was his sacrifice on the cross that brought us reconciliation with god the father and with one another this was not a an imaginary separation between peoples this was a very real separation that was put in place by god 
we have a number of different types of separations that, we're, that, that culture is kind of trying to thrust upon us, right? Male, female, well, there's a division, and here's what should take place. Black, white, well, here's a division, and this is how this should take place. Uh, all, all kinds of ideas around our separateness, our cultural differences. Those are all man-made and, and, and created by humans. There's no difference between you and I from a standpoint of, 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 of races. We talked about that this weekend. There's only one human race. We, we are all one. There's no, there's, no, there's no difference between us from a standpoint of, of our, our, our chromosomal DNA, right? When, when, they, when they look at mine, it'll say human. And when they look at yours, guess what it'll say? Human. We hope for some of you. It might be a question. Our separation was not abolished. Our, our, our separateness from God was real. Our separateness with Jew and Gentile was real. It was placed there by God, and God himself is the only one capable of removing it. And how did he do it? By the blood of Christ. It wasn't CRT. It wasn't LBC, ABC, DEFG. He did it by the blood of Christ and by his finished work. This was abolished not by legislation, by government entity. It was not abolished by some march on the streets or a rally or a riot. It was not abolished by some Supreme Court decision or some presidential proclamation. What abolished the wall of division that separated uh, us from God and from one another was Christ and him crucified. Consider verses 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There can't be a more clear uniting of people than for them to be connected in such a way that they are one body instead of two. If we follow the text in verses 17 and 18, we, we find the outcome of the, that is intended by God the Father through Christ. Let's begin reading in verse 17. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we, have both, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. It was John Calvin in writing about this very section of Scripture that, that he said this. He said, quote, All that Christ has done towards effecting a reconciliation would have been of no service if the gospel had not proclaimed it. And therefore, the fruit of this peace has now been offered both to Jews and to Gentiles. Hence, it follows that to save Gentiles was as well as Jew, uh, to save Gentiles as well as Jews was the design of our Savior's coming and the preaching of of the gospel, which is addressed indiscriminately to both, makes abundantly manifest, end quote. What is, what is Calvin alluding to? He's alluding to the fact that though the Jews had this, had this, had this uh, relationship with God through the covenants of Israel, there still needed to be the gospel preached so that they could be united to God the Father through Christ. And in the same way, the same gospel was necessary for the Gentiles. 
that they would hear the gospel preached and their hearts would be transformed and changed and they too would be united with God the Father through this preached message of the gospel. But both groups needed the gospel. There's a question that's being begged to be asked and answered here. When we think about our current condition, our current culture, where do we see this kind of fully orbed uh, expression of unity? If we were to look outside in the culture, we absolutely don't witness it. They're they're trying to utilize these these man-made ideologies, these man-made ideas to create what God himself has already done through Jesus Christ. And it is you and I who are the believers of God, who understand these truths, who have a responsibility to go and declare that message to everyone we encounter. What I've witnessed happen in culture is the the mere fact that we've been been beat down. We're kind of nervous. We've lived in, in, a, in a state where, for the most part, the, the Christian faith has kind of, you know, uh, ha, has been applauded. You've been, been kind of given, a, given a, a gold star if you're a Christian. Those days are long gone. And as a result, what we've done is we've forgotten the fact that we come from a, a heritage of faithful followers of Christ who are willing to give their lives for the truth that they proclaimed. Nowadays, you and I are a little bit nervous about whether or not, uh, you know, we'll get, a, we'll get put off of Facebook or, or get banned from Twitter. We, we have to take a stand. Not our own stand, but, but a stand on these truths, a stand on what God has done, a, a stand on, on the cosmic plan of God to redeem his people and, and, and that he has redeemed us and that we have a responsibility to, to, to declare that truth to everyone we encounter. My hope is that throughout the, the, the weekend, the Saturday, as you were informed about the different ideologies that are out there on, on today, on the Lord's Day, as we gather as the, the body of Christ, as the believers of faith, that we are, remind ourselves of our unity with God and the beauty of the unity that we enjoy with one another. I am so much more your brother than anyone that you would encounter within your own family who does not know Christ. And our unity, whether you like it or not, is eternal. Some of y'all will get that on the way home. (laughs) This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of why we gather week in Week out. This is the beauty of the fellowship, the koinonia that we experience as there are life groups and opportunities and on Sunday evenings for you to connect and, and the, uh, the, the, the different things that your pastors and elders have, have put together in an effort to properly shepherd your souls. All of this serves as a reminder so that when we see the darkness that is pervasive in the culture, we're not overwhelmed. Daryl and I say it often, we expect the world to world. We're not shocked by that, nor should you be. If you remember, you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope 
and without God in the world. But now, Christ Jesus, he's called you out of darkness into the beauty of his marvelous light. By grace you have been saved, the text says, through faith. This is not of your own doing. This is a gift of God. Not that any one of us would boast, but that we would rejoice in the goodness and glory of God. As we think about cultures, we think about what they're trying to do. They desire to replace the worship of God for, for an idol. They desire to blaspheme the character of God by claiming about him something that's not right and true. They want to create their own God out of, out of government. And we recognize the falsehood of that religion. Let's look again very closely at verses 19 through 22 as I close. Ephesians 19, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, listen to this, and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Well, if you are here today and you are indeed in Christ, this is absolutely true of you. If you are here today and you've clung to the cross of Jesus Christ, you indeed have been reconciled by faith to the promises of God. However, if you are here today and you've not repented of your sins, and placed your full faith in the finished work, God's wrath abides on you. The beauty of today is that this is the day of salvation. This is the day that you've come into the right place where you can hear about the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that a loving God before he said, let there be light, had a plan to ransom you, to redeem you, to restore you in right relationship with him through the finished work of Christ his son, that that Christ lived a perfect life, that he died a death that he did not deserve on a bloody Roman cross, and that he served as the full payment for the penalty that you and I rightly deserve before that holy God. And that he died, but that he rose again as evidence that the payment was, was made in full. And that you and I, if we would but repent of our sin and place our faith in that finished work, we would inherit the beauty of this reconciliation, the beauty of, of what God has done through his son, the, the beauty of being reconciled back to God and to one another, not only in the here and now, but for eternity, forevermore. If you haven't confessed your sin and placed your faith in Christ, I know the men here, the elders here, would love to have an opportunity to speak with you after our service is over, but we're grateful for you believers who are here on the Lord's day, and we rejoice in the beauty and majesty of God and his divine plan to restore us, to redeem us, to ransom us, to rescue us, and to reconcile us to one another through that finished work.
I'll close with a prayer. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather with your body in this local place. Grateful for these pastors who are shepherding the souls of men and women who have a passion for you, a love for you, and a desire to see others come to know you in greater ways. I pray for this church, that it would be a city on a hill, that it would be a light, a beacon of hope in an ever-darkening world. I also pray for those who are here who may not have a relationship with you, that by your spirit you would move as only you have promised on the basis of the fact that your word is truth and that indeed the gospel is able to penetrate a heart and turn it from darkness to light. We ask you to do that now. Again, I pray for all these saints who are here that you would bless them in their coming and going and that they would experience the joy that only you can, can provide them. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.